So um, we come to a couple of verses that I think, um, you know, all the way through 1 John, there's been little, these little complexities and these little bits like, hang on a sec, is he, is he agreeing with Paul? Is John and Paul, do they not even talk to the same God? What's going on? And we've been working it through. And I think today we have a similar couple of verses. Um, it says, um, straight up, it says, if anyone sees a brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying that he should pray about that. It says all wrongdoing is sin and there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God doesn't sin. The one who is born of God, that's Jesus, keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. So we kind of even in, in verse, from verse 16 to verse 18, we kind of almost see a complexity there because we can see that in verse 16, a brother, all the way through 1 John, a brother is referring to a Christian brother. This is someone that has been born of God. And in verse 18, it says, we know that anyone born of God actually doesn't continue to sin. And yet he's saying, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin, so how does, how does all that fit together? Um, there's a few obvious questions um, that I kind of wrote down that, that, I, that I looked in that and I looked for the obvious um, key words, if you like. Um, who is my brother? Uh, what is sin? What is death? What's the sin that does not lead to death and what's the sin that does lead to death? And why do we pray? for someone who commits a sin that does not lead to death and not obligated to pray for someone who has sin that does lead to death. And um, what is the life? In here, God will give him life. What is the life that God grants? And what should we do? Um, they're the kind of questions that I thought that I'd run through this morning. If you have any of your own just um, that I've missed, shoot up and... And ask, and um, I'm not saying that I can uh, answer everything because I've actually been uh, struggling for a day and a half over these couple of verses. These, these these verses provoke lots of thought and lots of you know background information about what we believe as Christians, and then we read it and we go, "Hang on a sec, how does that actually fit?" So, pardon. This sermon could take a day and a half, and there's a couple of points where I just condense and say that's a sermon all by itself. So I'll try not to take a day and a half. Um, so firstly, I'm pretty sure John is referring to Christians when he says brother, um, because everywhere else through 1 John, that's, that's what he says, and that's what he means when he, when he talks about brothers. He's talking about a fellow Christian, a believer, someone who is born again, someone who is born of God. Um, and... Um, what to do with these apparent contradictions? How do they fit? When we were, Sally and I had the privilege of travelling around the bottom of Australia once and we're travelling along the Great Ocean Road and I loved it because on the one side you have cattle and sheep and grass right up to the cliff and then you've got the beach and the ocean. I mean, how fantastic, you know, look. We sort of, when, when we go to the Gold Coast, we kind of have this like little buffer, you know, we have to wade our through, wade through the traffic and the city and it's kind of like this, 
this distance between the bush and the ocean. I love the bush and I love the ocean and down there they're, they're side by side. But think I'm standing on the cliff and if you look at me looking from the north, you see Rob at the ocean, in the ocean. If you look at me looking from the ocean, you see Rob out in the paddock. And I could well just quick get changed and you think I'm home on the farm. There's a matter of perspective of what you're looking at and which way you're looking. And I want to keep that, that sort of a concept in mind as we, as we work through today is, is what are we looking towards? What are, what's our focus? Which way are we looking? In the Bible, lots of times when it talks about the ocean, it's actually talking about evil. To the depths of the ocean is, is depicted um, as evil. Um, so if you want to picture Rob and you're looking and there's the background backdrop of evil, and then if you look from the other direction, there's the, the, the background of heaven, the rolling hills and the grass, the lion lying down with the lamb, perhaps. Um, so let's just move on to the... The question, what is sin? And we know that all wrongdoing is, is sin. And um, we don't often look at the Ten Commandments, but as I did, I, I sort of thought, you know, there's not much sin that actually exists outside of these Ten Commandments in one, in one form or another. Um, have no other gods. I'll just go run through them if you like. We don't often do this. Have no other gods but me. Uh, don't make a god and worship it. Don't make an idol and worship that. Uh, don't take God's name in vain. There's actually a sermon amongst all these. <laughs> um, uh, work for six days, uh, but keep the seventh day for God, um, which could also include don't give up the habit of meeting together. Um, keep the seventh day holy. Honour uh, your parents. Don't murder. Uh, stay faithful to your wife. Don't commit adultery. Um, don't bear false witness. That means don't lie. Don't be untrue. Be a true witness, not a false witness. Um, and then the more internal command, um, don't covet. Don't, which means don't desire something that doesn't belong to you. In other words... Be happy with, God's, with, with what God's given you. And um, as I look at these commandments, I sort of see a pattern. And I would say, I could try and summarise by saying, trust in God alone. Be happy with what he's given you. If you trust in God, there's no need for murder. If you're happy with what is, God has given you, you won't have to look at other women or other things. You'll even be happy the family, the parents that God's given you. Um, Romans 14.23 extends the meaning of sin when it says whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. And um, sin means to miss the mark. It's as if you put a target on the back wall and you shot an arrow at it and you missed it. So we often think of sin as all the bad stuff that we do, but sin's also when we miss the good stuff, when we miss loving our brother, 
and um, especially in the context of 1 John, um, there's such a big strong theme of loving our brother. I think as he talks about sin, I think that's, there's, there's a lot of um, that thrust behind it. And 1 John 1 says that unless we admit our sinfulness, the truth of Jesus is not in us. And I think sin is not so much looking um, towards something that is wrong, like at the ocean, if you like, but it's actually every time we look away from God, every time we don't focus on God. Uh, Second question, what is death? Um, death in the Bible is an interesting concept. It's much more than just a physical death. Um, it does include that. Um, death, separation from God. Death is to perish. Um, I think death is death in every way possible. Death is death in, in physical, um, in, in spiritual, uh, even socially. Um, death is hell. Um, and, you know, you've often heard people flippantly say, I don't want to go to heaven with all you hypocrites. I'd rather go to hell with me mates. Um, I've certainly heard people say that. Um, a tragic part about it is there's no socialising in hell. It is hell. It is not a party with the mates. It's a place of extreme punishment and despair forever. It's not just bang, bang, game over. Life stops. It goes on. Um, uh, Jesus said in Matthew thirteen forty one, he said, The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will he will throw them they will throw them into the fiery furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, so this is what the Bible refers to as death. And Paul says um, in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. That there's no sin that doesn't deserve death. And um, we know that every little sin does deserve death. So what is John talking about here when he talks about the sin that leads to death and the sin that doesn't lead to death? So firstly, let's just zoom out just a little bit and look at the context of the passage in which we find it. And so I'll see if we can just slide back a little bit again. Um, And that's why I ask Will to read from verse 13, uh, which says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. The intention of John's letter is to encourage Christians in the assurance of their faith. Uh, And reading on, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he he hears us. And and Derek spoke about this last week, about praying according to the will of God. And we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. And so verse 16 leads on from this. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that doesn't lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. So this is written in the same thrust um, about assurance of faith and praying in accordance with the will of God. Um, When John talks about a sin that doesn't lead to death and a sin that does lead to death, I don't think he's talking about a particular 
sin. I don't think he's saying that, you know, murder, that leads to death, but telling a little white lie, that doesn't lead to death. Um, Or, you know, if you steal, if you rob a bank, that leads to death, but, you know, if you dodge your tax return a little bit, that doesn't lead to death. You know, I don't think he's saying that. Um, We do know from Scripture, another little sermon all by itself, but I'll try and summarise, that not all sin is equal, but it all deserves death. Jesus, for example, said... um, He said that he who handed him over to Pilate was guilty of a greater sin than Pilate himself. And that's in John 19, 10 and 11. And in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 8, um, when, when God's people rebelled against him, God revealed the sins of Israel in three stages. And in each stage, Israel's sins were more detestable than the previous ones. And there are many more examples. Um, and this topic is a sermon for a whole other day. Um, but while we see that in one sense not all sin is equally detestable to God, in another sense all sins are equal because any sin will have us fall short of the glory of God and deserve death. And that's found in Romans 3.23. Um, and so... From Galatians 2.16, we know that a man is not justified by observing the law. So, looking at different laws, we're not justified like that by that, but by our faith in Jesus Christ. So this is puzzling. What is a sin that leads to death and a seed that, and a sin that doesn't? John wants us to have assurance of faith and to pray the will of God. But let's just zoom out a little bit further. Um, and we also see that he wrote the whole book of John um, in, in, in uh, one reason, um, was address, addressing false teaching, especially of Gnosticism. And one commentary that I read yesterday says, in the context of this letter directed against Gnostic teaching, which denied the incarnation, that means that God became man, and it threw off all moral restraints, it is probable that the sin that leads to death refers to the Gnostics' adamant and persistent denial of the truth and to their shameless immorality. This kind of unrepentant sin leads to spiritual death. That sin which leads to death or results in death is any sin that is incompatible with being a child of God. What sins qualify? According to 1 John, the sin that leads to death is is deliberate refusal to believe in Jesus Christ. Deliberate refusal to follow God's commands and to love one's brothers. It leads to death because it includes a deliberate refusal to believe in the one who alone can give us life. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So... On the other hand, a believer who has the Holy Spirit, who trusts in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his sins do not lead to death. Because when he sins, he feels convicted, not condemned. And he confesses his sin before Jesus with the knowledge that his sins are forgiven. His sin doesn't lead to death. It's not just people caught 
in the strange beliefs of Gnosticism, whose sin leads to death. I want you to think for a minute about Lot's wife in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot and his family were told to flee from the immoral city of Sodom, to run for the hills and don't look back. Uh, But as they were fleeing, uh, Lot's wife was behind him and she looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt, um, which is kind of puzzled me uh, a lot in my younger Christian years. Um, Fact was, Lot's wife wasn't looking toward the rescue. She was looking back. She, she, her, her focus and her love was on the sea, on the dark, on the evil that was in Sodom. She didn't want to be rescued. Christians whose sins do not lead to death, they look to Jesus, our rescuer. It's where you look. Um, yeah, it's where we look to. So, uh, number five, why do we pray for someone who commits sin? Why do we pray for a believer who commits sin? And I've got to say, as I read this yesterday and the day before, I I did become quite convicted. I actually don't always do that. Um, Jesus knew that his death and resurrection would pay for the sins of the whole world. We know that. But he did say... If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away because it's better to lose one part of your body for your whole body to be thrown into hell. The reason I believe that the serious... The, I believe the reason is because of the seriousness and the deceptive nature of sin. Sin erodes our faith. When we continue in sin, unchecked, unconfessed, we lose faith. The one thing that can save us. Sin's a dangerous thing to play with. And I think it's helpful to remember at the core, sin is rejecting God. Um, As I said before, Romans 14, 23 says, everything done without faith in God is sin. Sin's the absence of faith. Don't practice that. Practice faith. I'll digress for a quick second. I, um, the word practice. Um, practice, in a Christian sense, is not what tennis players do. Okay? Tennis players go out in the court and they practice ready for the real match. Christians practice like doctors. Okay? Heaven forbid I go to the doctor and he says, just lie down there, I'm having a little practice on you. <laughs> He's actually putting into practice what he's learnt. And so that's what we do as we um, practice our faith. We put into practice the faith that we've learned. Um, uh, Hebrews lists at least three places um, the dangers of deliberately continuing to practice sin. Um, And you might as well say it's the practice of rejecting God. Uh, Hebrews 12.15, I'll just name one of them, says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as his oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, he wanted to inherit this blessing. He was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. 
Esau had spiralled into sin so much that he had rejected his birthright. And when he sought to repent, even with tears, he could not. God did not grant him repentance. Uh, Hebrews 10.24 and Hebrews 6.4 also give us grave warnings about persisting to turn our back on God after we've become a Christian. Um, A similar ending to the book, like the ending of um, 1 John, is James. And in chapter 5 it says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. A very similar verse to today. Most of, um, I, I think, most of our Christians' sins are unseen. They're, they're internal. Um, occasionally, we see a sin in our brother. And John's saying, when we see that, we should pray for them. Because um, if we see a brother commit a sin, it indicates that our brother has moved from the sin being just an intention in his mind and he's now participating in it. It's just growing a little. It's where we take sin to the next level. Um, I want to talk about sheep and cattle and working in the cattle yards and filthy language. And and um, I've such a number of confessions over this. It's not funny. You know, things go wrong in the cattle yards, and it used to be much worse when we had sheep. Um, but if I let that behaviour run, I kind of normalise it, and people around me just sort of it, it becomes to be normalised, and that's okay. Rob's Rob's off there doing his block. You know, it's all right. Um, and, and I become callous to it and to let it run I actually struggle to confess it because I'm kind of adopting it it's a bit hypocritical to confess what you're adopting isn't it so when we see this in our brother we should pray for him that's what John's saying we should pray for him in other places in the Bible it talks about as what we just read in James it says um you should go and get them and bring them back. Bring them back to the truth. But today, the, the, the verse that we're looking at says pray for them. Um, the last question I have here is what is life? Uh, life is eternal. Life starts now, eternal life. Um, it starts with a foretaste of the Holy Spirit. And it starts with a victory over sin. That comes to its fullness on the day of eternity. And so in the text, God will give him life. I believe he's talking about victory both now and later. So what should we do? Yeah, we should pray. So what's our perspective? Um, that's what we should do when we see that with a brother. What's, what's, how's this work out? How's this work out for us? Um, And I just want to, in closing, point us to Hebrews 12, verse 1, that says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You know, sin is, trying to, is like trying to run with rope tangled in your legs. It's a huge hindrance in the Christian faith. So Hebrews 12, 2 says, let's not look to the sin, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding blood. And I think that's a very encouraging uh, word for us today. So um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through Jesus our sins are washed away. We thank you that you've given us your spirit to guide us in life, to point us towards you, to convict us when we're not living for you. And you've provided these brothers to love and pray for us that when we're not just quite living for you, that they could gently remind us and gently pray for us and know the seriousness, Lord, of sin, but also the amazing power of your grace. Thank you in Jesus' name. So this morning, um, we're just going to lead straight into um, communion. Uh, I would like to read you just a... um,